All right, good morning. Uh, welcome everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So a couple things before we get started. First of all, uh, we have Discover Life coming up on November 2nd and the 9th. Um, so tell you a little bit about what Discover Life is. So it's an opportunity for you to come if you've never taken it. So if you've come to the church, no matter how long you've been here, if you've never taken Discover Life, you should take the class because it gives you an opportunity, first of all, to get to meet other people at the church. Um, you know, it's difficult sometimes. It's like if you're a second service person, you would never know uh, that people that come to first service. So it's an op awesome opportunity to see them and uh, get to know them. And the other thing that it does is it gives you an opportunity to know the what we believe. So what are our statements of faith? What are those things that we believe? Um, where did we come from? You know, how did the church get planted? Kind of all the behind the scenes stuff. An opportunity for me uh, to be able to share with you kind of how the church got started and what it looks like and where we're going into the future, and an opportunity for you to be able to ask questions. So that's the greatest thing, too, about the class. If you ever have any questions you want to know, uh, nothing's really off limits. We try to, to share everything that we can uh, in there to make you feel more comfortable with calling this your home. So if you want to sign up, you can sign up on the app. You can go to our website. Uh, if neither one of those things work, find Jennifer Eller, and she'll get you signed up uh, for Discover Life. All right, so we're finishing up our series called we Are the Church. Now, the idea of uh, the series We Are the Church was started because, you know, we've had a lot of new people coming and we wanted to talk about some foundational things about uh, not life church in general, but the idea of what we think is important when it comes to the organization of the church. Does that make sense? Like knowing what we're about. So when we did that, one of the things that we said from the beginning and this is honestly from uh, the start of Life Church. From the start of Life Church, we said this. We're going to do the best we can um, to prepare messages. We're going to do the best we can in worship. We're going to do the best we can in children's ministry. We're going to do the best we can in youth providing environments. We're going to do the best we can. But here's what we know. True life change never happens because of a preacher's message. True life change never happens because somebody went to children's ministry. True life change never happens because worship was incredible. True life change comes because you understand that the thing that's going to change your life is Jesus Christ, right? That's the idea of the table. And so we do everything possible to try to give you Jesus, like the solution to um, your problems, the solution to your life. And so we design everything that we're going to do everything we can to do it in a creative way. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the answer to all of the issues that we have in life. And we want to try to give them to you. Now, one of the things that we talk about a lot is how to stay as a healthy church. Like, um, what does it look like for us to be here for the long term and not just the short term? So we, as a staff, talk all the time about the idea of these three chairs, right? And this is what we've been talking about over the course of the last three weeks is these three chairs, what do they mean, and, and um, why are they important? So this is chair one, right? So in a church, this is what we say, if you want to know if your church is healthy, a third of your church should be made up of chair one, people who don't know Jesus, right? And here is why that's important. Because if Christians are doing their calling, right? So if a Christian is doing what God has called them to do, 
then what are, what, what's the result of that? You're reaching people, right? Like, you're out in relationship with people, you're trying to draw people in, and through drawing people in, it's a part of the church, and so they come to church, and we help you help them know Jesus. Does that make sense? If the church forgets this chair, because this is what happens in a lot of churches, in fact, you might have seen this. If you forget this chair, and your kids stop having kids, churches age out of existence. You ever seen that before, where churches just age out of existence? So, you know, they were, there's a big and thriving and kids and kids ministry, and they had a group of people that came together that loved each other, and everybody knew everybody. You ever been in a church like that? Like, everybody knew everybody, and all the kids knew each other, and all of the kids were having kids, and your church was growing because of that. And then all of a sudden, something happened, and you look back, and you're like, how did this ever happen that we were a thriving church, and now we're dead? You know how that happens? You forgot about your job. You got so comfortable with creating a church that was for you that you forgot the church was also for them. And that church will die over time if we are not carrying out the calling, right? You can't repopulate a church to keep it in existence. This is not going to happen, right? What we're called to do is to reach these people who are far away from God and you are plan A, and you're the way that they're going to get reached. So we partner with you, we do everything we can for you, but we, do, we, we want to make sure that we understand our job, right? So a third of the church should be made up of chair one. A third of the church should be made up of chair two, right? People that came in, they were, uh, had something going on in their life, but they, they came to a realization that they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and now they're new in their faith. And they're like me, when I was new in my faith, they're kind of like, what do I do? I'm just super excited. I love the Lord. You know, I'm getting baptized. In fact, you know, we're going to celebrate this. So next week, Baptism Sunday, there's 30 plus people getting baptized that were in that chair. And now we're in this chair of saying like, whoo, like something has changed in my life and I want to tell everybody about it. But what do you do next, right? Like what is the, what is the, the, the steps, right, in getting that done? And so a third of your church should be made up of people who just, they don't know what they're doing. They're just loving the Lord and trying to get it figured out. And then chair three, you know, and this is a, a chair and it's a little bit uh, hard to understand, but chair three is something you'll never arrive at because chair three is what we call spiritual maturity and you'll never be fully spiritual mature, spiritually mature until you stand in front of Jesus. But what we do know is that it's a journey from new in your faith till you meet Jesus someday in heaven at the end of your life, that that journey is spiritual maturity, right? And the thing that we're going to focus on now. Here's what we're going to look at today. This journey. How do you go from this chair and continue on towards spiritual maturity without getting pushed back? Now, here's what I want you to see. So every one of these chairs is a representation of opposition and opposition being overcome, okay? So I'll give you an example. So before you knew Jesus, so every single person in this room, before you knew Jesus, here's what I know about you, right? Before you knew Jesus, you were chasing something to fill a hole inside of you that you could not fill over time, right? So... 
For some of us, it's career. For some of us, it's acceptance. For some of it's identity. For some of it's, it's food. For some of it's like there's inside, like you keep trying to fill it with something, but you're never satisfied. Anybody been down that road? Right? Like you, there's this hole inside of you that you continually try to satisfy. And, and the enemy, right? Because that's the thing that I want to tell you is every, every step in your life is filled with opposition, Right, And so the enemy is trying to get you to fill the gap in your life with things that will never fill it. Right, So you try women, you try drugs, you try alcohol, you try career, you try money, you try friends, you try relationships, you try whatever those things are, and you keep pouring them all in, and the enemy keeps saying, well, it's the next best thing, it's the next best thing, it's the next best relationship, it's the next best job, it's the next best whatever it is, and the enemy keeps saying, pour it in, pour it in, and then all of a sudden, you're satisfied for a time, but what you find out at the end of the day is, is that the more you pour in, the more lost you become. Anybody? Right? Like that's just the way that it works. This is a journey with an enemy that's trying to oppose you. But when you finally get to the point, and, and for some of you in your room, this room, this is your story. For some of you, this is going to be your baptism story coming up next week. I was lost. Somebody invited me to church. I read a book. I listened to a podcast. I talked to somebody, and I was lost because I kept trying to fill a hole. And finally, finally, I met Jesus, and because I met Jesus, I am now full and fully satisfied. Now, you know where the problem is? Most people that have been fighting that battle get to this place, and they think the opposition has ended. So you get to this place and you're like, I have fought and I have won and I've overcome the enemy and I have been fulfilled and I'm in the place that I need to be and I am super excited. In fact, I love it. And then this is the biggest disillusionment with new believers. The biggest disillusionment is I gave my life to Christ and I thought everything would be better, easier, less problems. And guess what? What you found is the opposition is still there. What you found is, is that when you're like, oh man, I want a journey and I want to know, and you're, you're moving through spiritual maturity and you're trying to be effective and you're trying to understand your calling and you're trying to go down this road and then all of a sudden opposition happens, you're like, wait a second, I thought God was on my side when God is for me. Who could be against me, right? And you're singing it and you're loving it. You, the enemy can be against you and will be against you and will be fighting against you. In fact, you know why? I talked to a, a bunch of people through this series and I would say the majority of people that I talked to said that this is where they're stuck. This is where they get stuck. And I said, you know why you get stuck at this is because what you haven't recognized is, is that the idea of your enemy is to oppose you in a way to keep you from ever moving forward and to keep you ineffective, right? And that naturally, he's going to continue to oppose you, and here's what you learned. You learned this habit. Some of you can even tell this story. Super excited about Jesus, loving the Lord, gave your life to Christ, got baptized. What do I do? You're going down this road, and then all of a sudden, you hit a wall. And then when you get against this wall, you're like, this is tough, this is hard, I'm trying to push through, this is difficult. And then here's what you found. As soon as you started to retreat, guess what happened? You got comfortable again. True? 
As soon as you started to go back to, because you, you know what Satan knows, you know what your enemy knows, and this is so cool. So the enemy does everything in his power to keep you from ever knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Like he's going to do everything to keep you deceived, keep you distracted, keep you busy, make it so that you don't know. He's going to make it so you don't think it's your job to reach your kids. He's going to make you think that life is way more important than reaching people for Christ. Like he's going to keep you that, keep you distracted. But once you give your life to Jesus Christ, you ready to be excited? Once you give your life to Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of your sins, past, present, and future, and when you stand in front of Jesus Christ someday, you will be known, right, as a son and daughter of the king, not based upon what you did, but based upon what Jesus has done for you. You are going to be covered and you're going to be known. You know what the enemy knows? He can never take that away. He can't take it away. Like all of us are going to make some stupid mistakes. Amen? Anybody that after they gave their life to Jesus made some really dumb choices? Yeah. I mean, that's just a reality. We give our life to Jesus. We go down this road. We make some really stupid choices. And so what the enemy wants to do to you, because he knows that he cannot take your salvation, you know what he wants to do to you? Get you back in this chair where you're doing nothing. Where you're ineffective and comfortable. And you're sitting here thinking, wow, this, this isn't so bad, right? Like, this, this isn't so difficult. <clears throat> but I, I want you to hear this because I think this is coming, so I think you should probably be prepared for this. You can only sit in this chair for so long until God kicks it out from underneath you. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you ever been there and you thought you could keep yourself comfortable and you thought you could organize your life in a way and then all of a sudden... Somebody kicks it out from underneath you. Like, I think that's a reality. Like, I think it's a reality that you can try to stay comfortable here, but God has a plan for your life, and comfort was not one of them. So he comes along, and circumstances of life start kicking the, 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 the legs a little bit until it gets a little bit uneasy, and you decide what to do. Because at the end of the day, here's what I want you to see, is every piece of your journey is a test of your calling. Does that make sense? So before you were saved, you were called, every single person in this world called to be a son and daughter of the king, right? Every, every person called. Every opposition that you face leading up to that is to keep you from your calling, right? Like God wants to use you. He wants to, to, to save you. Every opposition is to keep you distracted from making that decision. Everything that's going to move you from here to there right? Every decision that you make in life is going to be faced with opposition, right? Because that opposition, this is what we know, how you handle opposition will either be growing you in spiritual maturity or making you sit out of the game in chair two. How you handle it. Here's what I want you to see or hear or experience. Opposition is not something that we should run from or try to pray our way out of. Right? I want you to hear this. When, when you're in this place and you're facing the enemy and when you have times that are testing you and trying you, remember there is as much scripture about walking through the valley with you as there is delivering you out of. Does that make sense? You know how when we get in a valley, the first thing we want to do is get me out of the valley? 
right? Like, I don't like the valley. There's too much in the valley. There's too much opposition in the valley. I don't like this. Surely God wouldn't want me there. Here's what I want you to know. It could be that the reason that he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why should we not fear evil in the shadow of death? Because he is with us. There are times that walking you through the valley of the shadow of death is going to be the only thing that's going to prepare you for what's to come because there's something coming. And you will either be prepared for it or you will retreat away from it. But you have to know this. Every season of opposition and testing is to prepare you for what's next. Now, I fear that we live in a world today that we have been so used to and trained up in running from opposition and being comfortable that when it goes to faith, when your faith is tested, I feel like so many of us are going to retreat back because we've run away from the little test. Right? Like, I'm going to share this here in a little bit in more greater detail, but one of the things that fascinated me when I was new in my faith is, like, I just started reading the Bible and reading books. And when I read the Bible and read books, here's what fascinated me. One of the first books that I was given is Jesus Freaks. Anybody ever read it on Jesus Freaks? So in Jesus Freaks, it talks about, like, these people living for Christ in the midst of opposition and going through things. I'm thinking, how could anybody get to a place where this could happen in their life and they could still praise God, right? I remember the day that, that you remember when the, the Coptic Christians in Egypt, they were all orange jumpsuits and they brought them out on the beach and they beheaded them in front of everybody. ISIS beheaded them. And these were sons and daughters of a village. And in this village, they sent a reporter in there and this reporter goes in. I, I want you to think about this for a second. You know, you guys are moms, so you're, you just watch your son get beheaded Right, and you, and you walk in there and you walk into this village and the reporter is going to the mom and saying, what do you think about this? Right? Well, the most reactions we think from every mom is going to be, I'm going to get that sucker. <laughs> and now, mom, dads, somebody takes a lot for your son, are you just going to sit back and be like, oh, it's okay? That's not the natural response, is it? You know what she did? This is what she did. She says, you know what? I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to pray for every single person that beheaded my sons. And they're like, how could you ever do that? How could you ever get to the place to pray for the one who beheaded you? And she says, well, it's easy. I know where my sons are. I know where I'm going. And I know they're not going to be there. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's all that matters in the end. <laughs> how does anybody... Get to that kind of faith. Well, here's how it happens. It wasn't because it just happened over time. It happened because little decision after little decision after little decision after little decision after little decision grew great, enormous faith. You know where our problem is in the, the world today? We can't make the little decisions. Here's your opposition been so busy this week. I've been tired. I don't know if I can make it to church. True? Right? 
Uh, here's the opposition. I've been busy. I've been tired. I've been, right? And the opposition comes because we know when you show up here every single day, it doesn't mean God's not just in this house. God's out everywhere. But when two or three are gathered in his name, he is present and the Holy Spirit is going to be with his people. And we're expecting a divine appointment when we get into this room. And the decision of whether to come or not, opposition. I woke up. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I've had a rough week. Seriously? The opposition, meet God or go back to bed. You know what we choose? Go back to bed. Well, obviously you didn't, but <laughs> I'm not talking about in the world. Do you understand? Like we get on, we get in opposition. And I said this before, our response to COVID, our response to the, to the opposition in the Christian faith right now, our response to all these things has been awful. Right? Little bits of persecution, and you want to be ready in the end? You want to have great faith in the end? We better probably make some of these other decisions, right? The little decisions. You know, I couldn't make it, and I couldn't, couldn't focus. I was too distracted. I was too busy. It was too, life's too chaotic. Like, we probably should make some of the decisions that would say, I don't care how tired I am. If God calls me to be in his presence, I'm going to be in his presence. I don't care how busy I am. I don't care how distracted I am. I don't care what my week was like. I will make it a priority because I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to go against opposition because every step that I go against opposition means I just defeated the enemy. And every time we take a step back, just says the enemy won. Because every, every step is to move you back into inactivity. Now, in this, what we want to try to decide is how do we get... Or how do we continue that journey? How do we continue to push against opposition? So I, wanna, I want you to look uh, in 1 Corinthians 9. That's what we're going to be today. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And we're going to be talking about the life of Paul. And I think it makes sense to talk about the life of Paul because here was a guy who was a persecutor of Christians. So 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 24 through 27. He was a persecutor of Christians. And then he had an experience where he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And in giving his life to Jesus Christ, he immediately had a calling, the same calling we all have, right? We already know what our calling is. We're supposed to go out into all the nations and reach people. Well, the same calling was for Paul. Paul's calling was to go out and reach Gentiles. That's what God told him, go out and reach the Gentile people. Had a calling on his life. Do you think... Paul, after being an unbeliever and got in this chair and decided that he was going to fulfill his calling, had opposition to his calling? And we read about it and we think about it because Paul's writing this letter from a jail cell. Right, This letter that he's writing to the Corinthian churches, he's been in jail for a couple years, and he's writing this letter. He is somebody who walks funny because he's been beaten so many times. He is a guy that has walked into places, heard from the Holy Spirit in the midst of this, go into these cities, but you know what's going to happen when you go into these cities? You're going to get opposition, and you're going to get persecution, and what does Paul do? He doesn't choose to go back and be comfortable in the places where people revered him because that's what he could have done. He could have planted one church and, and everybody would have adored him. He could have taken all of the, the accolades of the people that loved him and stayed there. But what did he choose to do? Whatever the Holy Spirit told, told him to do. And every time he did it, he faced opposition. 
And we wonder why you get to the end of Paul's life and he can go into Jerusalem and he can be beheaded right at the end of his life and say, you know what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Well done, good and faithful servant. He can just sit there and say, go ahead and lop my head off. Why? Because he stood up to the test and he walked the journey, and his faith was, I'm just a sojourner on this earth, wandering around, doing what God's called me to do, and if they want to take my head, who cares? I do not want to be out of the race. I do not want to be disqualified. The most important thing to Paul at the time was not being you know, uh, liked by people, but running a race with a cause, reaching people for Jesus, and doing everything he could to not be disqualified because in every opposition was trying to disqualify him from the race. So what can we learn from him? This is what he says. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the race. You know what the cool thing is, is that I love when Paul and or Jesus, when they teach, they teach in a way that we can understand, like it makes sense. So when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing it to a people in a place where the games, right, this idea of preparing for a race or preparing for the Olympics, everybody around there knew this, right? So what he's trying to teach them is learn how to run the right race, for the right prize because he was comparing it, he was comparing the races to the race of eternity and the race that that we do on this earth, right? Does that make sense? So he's talking about this, this idea that we all know how to, I'll just maybe, let's make it make more sense like this. Everybody in their life understands the concept of running a race. Now some of you are like, mm I don't run. I'm not a runner, that's not what I mean. When, when you're in high school, when you're in middle school, right, you're running a race. You know how I know that? Because people come up to you all the time, and you know what they ask? What are you going to do after you graduate, right? So regardless of whatever that is, you're doing a preparation, whether it's in school or out of school, running a race because you know what your prize is going to be? For some of you, it's going to be, I'm going to go to college. For some of you, it's going to be, get a job. For some of you, it's going to be, I'm going to get, you know, uh, start my own business. Whatever that is, your preparation, the things that you do, when you wake up in the morning, you make decisions. This is why kids who are not going to college, you know why they struggle sometimes going to school? Because it's not a part of the prize. Anybody ever been there? Right? Like, why show up? Like, what matters? Because to them, school doesn't equal the prize. Work equals prize. Right? That's why it's a struggle for some kids to stay in school because work equals prize, school equals nothing. Right? So we get that, right? That's a concept inside of us. Or you've been on a, on a team of some sort, like probably everybody in this room has been on some sort of a team or a part of something where this was going to be the prize. And so we prepared for, studied for, watched film for, ran for, lifted for. We did something so we could achieve this, right? So we understand the idea that all of us get if there's no person 
that if they want something, doesn't run a race to get it. True? Right? If you want something, you prepare to be able to get whatever that prize is. So here's what Paul's saying. So Paul's saying what you need to do is not that it's wrong to run a race in this world. So it's not wrong to go to school and want to win a prize. It's not wrong to be in sporting events and want to win a prize. It's not wrong to, to, to go after things, dream about things, and try to accomplish things. That's not what he's saying. But if those things replace the real race, because this is what he's saying, you know, all of those things, whether you get a job, get married, have kids, make money, win trophies, none of that. This is what Paul's trying to say. None of that matters in the end. Right? Like none of it matters in the end. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is the things that are going to be for eternity. So he's saying you can do all of that stuff, but make sure that you run the real race for the real prize, right? That you will understand that for the rest of your life, you are running a race, right? And in this race, you need to understand what the real prize is because this is the other problem. This is why we, we get disconnected in this area. If you ever read uh, the logo for Champs Academy, so you see the logo is a star, but the tagline with it, it says, the dream is free, but the journey is not. You know why we created that? Because most people in the exercise world dream of what they want to become, but won't put the cost in what it takes to get there. That's why we say that the journey is not the dream. You can dream all day. You can want to look good. You can want to be in shape. You can want to have a body that's a certain way, but that journey to get there is going to cost you something. The concept's the same. If you're going to look at your faith, if you want to move forward in your faith, you can dream about having a big faith. You can dream about having the faith of someone else. You can dream about being able to, to step into things and have confidence that God's going to be there. But if you don't put something into action, if you don't do something every day to face opposition, you will go backwards. There is no neutral. I think people that know the body would probably say this. I mean, you can be moving forward and you can work hard and it doesn't take long to go back. Is that true, Ricardo? Like, it doesn't take long to go backwards. When you stop your body in motion, it doesn't take much to go backwards. Well, it's probably the same thing. Not probably. I know it's the same thing. If you stop moving, it's not going to be long till you're going to be back in that chair and Satan and the angels and, or Satan and his demons are going to be celebrating because now you're out of the game watching somebody else run the race. Is this not true? How many people are sitting around today watching somebody else's race? And not only watching somebody else's race, critiquing him for the way that they're running it. Well, he should have, and they should have, and I wish, and this and that. I mean, you got to point fingers at all of it. And I'm like, dude, just get up and do something. Get in the race. Get in the game. We need to go down that. Now, how do you do that on a practical level? So how do you get to the place where you run the right race for the right prize? I'm going to give you two ways uh, to functionally do this. So one, I'm going to give it to you organizationally. So what should you do organizationally? And then what should you be doing in the world? Because I think they go together. Like, I don't believe in the idea that my ministry is outside of the church and I don't have to do anything inside of the church. I don't believe in that. I didn't believe in that whenever I didn't run a church. There's an organizational responsibility that everybody has to the body of believers that they gather with every Sunday. 
right? There is an organizational responsibility to serve the body of Christ in a way when the body of Christ gathers together. So I would say, suggest to every one of you, there should be no reason why we can't serve the body of Christ at some point in our journey. Is that fair to say? Some of you that are not serving are gone. Right? Because here's, you know why I tell you that? Because here's what I know. I know why you're not serving. I know why you're not involved. Because you're too busy. Means I have to come to two services. Lord, help me. I mean, two services. Like, I have to be here for two services. Right? Or I don't know, I'm not prepared, I'm not equipped. Like you, There's a lot of reasons why we're not doing this, but you understand that that's exactly what Satan wants, right? And by taking one step to say, you know what, if it's just once a month or every month, month I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against the enemy, I'm going to give some of my time, and I'm going to give it back to the Lord by serving my brothers and sisters. Here's the other one. So... Not only should we be serving the body of believers inside of the church, we should serve the body of believers outside of the church, and we should be doing everything that we can to reach people that don't know Jesus. Now, how do you do that? Because I think this is where it gets confusing. I always tell people, if you want to be effective, do the thing that you love and put Jesus in the middle of it, unless it's sinful or illegal. (laughs) I guess I better premise that, right? Do the things that you love and put Jesus in the middle. I've used this example all the time. I love football. I love watching football. I love the strategy of football. I could sit around and watch film on football all day long. Like, I love the game of football. So when it came to what do I do to reach people for Jesus, it wasn't like go coach volleyball, right? Or go do something that I know nothing about, that I don't love, and I'm not passionate about. It was take football and try to reach kids, right? So coach or do, take what you love, put Jesus in the middle of it, and when you put Jesus in the middle of it, your calling becomes effective because it's what you love, what you were designed to do, because all of us love what you love today because you were designed to love it. True? I mean, you love it because God made you that way. Right? He made you love certain things. All of us have passions and desires for certain things. Just put God in the center of it. And when you put God in the center of it, then we can be effective on reaching people. Right? So in the midst of running your race, put God in the center of that and be prepared. Run the right race for the right price. Here's the next one, that we need to discipline our body. So one of the things that we know about having great faith, great faith does not come because of feelings. Great faith comes because of discipline. Let me say that again. You don't become bold in your faith because you feel like it. You don't become bold in your faith because your feelings are amped up. You become bold in your faith because over time you have done spiritual disciplines that have helped you grow your faith. It's things that you do every day, spiritual discipline. Okay, here are some of the spiritual disciplines. I'm gonna give you a few. You can write these down. Solitude and silence. Now, how hard in the world that we live in today is solitude and silence? You ever find yourself doing this? Like you're, you're sitting in a room and you're by yourself and nobody's talking and, and you're sitting around and the next thing you know, you're like, that, that's a phone. I don't know if you got that or not, but yeah. <laughs> because you can't stand silence. 
this true? Right? You can't stand this idea like the mind is going a thousand miles an hour all of the time and you have been, you, you've been like trained for stuff to never stop. And so as soon as you get to this place of solitude and silence, you can't handle it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you want to hear from the Lord, you're going to have to learn to tune out other voices. It's a discipline. It doesn't just happen. And I don't know what your distractions from solitude or silence are, but it's going to cost you something to be able to have it done. If it is your phone, go put your phone in another room for an entire night and see how you do. You see, you know, you know what part of the problem with that is? People don't like that because they want you to be available all the time. Why didn't you answer your phone? When did I have to become available to you 24 hours a day? Right? Like, we got to learn some of that stuff. You're going to have to practice some of those things because they're not going to come natural. I don't know what it's going to take for solitude and silence, but I think it's something that you need to work on. Here's the next thing, prayer. We've talked about this, and we had it in our, our discussions before. Learn to pray not for what you need all of the time, but, but for what God wants you to do. Right? So pray not just to put in the, the, the coin in the slot to get what you need, but pray to say, God, tell me what to do today. Right? Learn to have a conversation. Learn to be a part of a relationship with him. That's a spiritual discipline. Journaling. Now, I know, guys, most of you out there are going to be like, the only people that journal are women. I'm not going to be a woman. Right? Here's what I want to tell you about journaling, guys. Like, I love to journal. I love to write things down. I love to put my thoughts down for a couple different reasons. The greatest gift that you could ever give your kids someday is the journaling of how you were praying for them, the things that you were thinking of them, and the things that were going on in your life. When they are gone someday, you know, I said this about Sherry. Sherry journaled a lot, left a lot of journals. One of the greatest gifts she gave to her kids is to be able to read them. How cool is it to know, like, this is what she was thinking, and this is what she was processing, and this is what she was praying about. What, could, what kind of gift would that be for your own kids? You know, the things that you were thinking about. That's one. The other thing is, I think you will find this amazing. What you're thinking, you think you got it, right? Like you think you've got these, these ideas or these things down in a way that makes sense to you. Try to write them down. Because taking thoughts from your head and putting them on paper, organize your thoughts in a way to take what you're thinking and make them make sense. It makes you think about them deeper, right? That's the reason that you journal. So make sure spiritual discipline could be journaling. The other one is study and fellowship. And I put those two together because we should obviously be studying the Bible. But you know one of the problems of studying the Bible alone? Sometimes you can come up with some pretty weird things alone. Right? You study it alone and you get alone and you read alone and you come up with some things alone and then you're like, you came up with some theories that I don't know how that ever came about or where that came from. But in your mind, it all made sense until you talked to somebody else. Right? Like you need to be in, like it's okay to study alone. Like you should be learning, but you should study with somebody else. Like if you love to study, do it in an environment where you can study uh, with somebody else. The other one is submission and guidance. So it's two things, right? These are two different things, but I want, to, want you to see them together. We need to learn to read the Bible and submit to what it says. So one of the things Francis Chan says, and I said this to you before, read the Bible, and when it tells you to do something, close it up until you do it. There's no reason to keep reading things that are mandates and treating them as if they're suggestions. 
That's what he says, right? Like, we need to stop reading the Bible as a suggestion manual and as a mandate. God said do, so what are we supposed to do as followers? Do it, right? Like, there isn't a, you know, it's not a suggestion manual. It's, he said to do it, I should do it. The other thing that you should read the Bible and do is you should read it for guidance, because here's what it's never going to do. If you understand the Bible is a living word, this has happened to you. You're reading it, and you're reading it, and you're reading it, and all of a sudden it says, you should text that. They didn't say that anywhere in there. Has anybody ever done that? Like you get a feeling, or you get a thing like I should pray for, talk to, call, do something. You read the Bible as living word for guidance on the things that God wants you to do. And then you just go do it. So when we do this, a spiritual discipline of being obedient and looking for guidance, right? And that can only happen if you open your scripture. It's a spiritual discipline. If you want to grow your faith, learn to be obedient and then learn to search the scripture for the guidance of the things that God wants you to do. The next one is simplicity. I think this is somewhat, you know, uh, in a world today where things are crazy, it'd probably be a good idea if we simplify some things in our life. Anybody, you know, err on the side of maybe we need to simplify some things. Here's another spiritual discipline. Stewardship and sacrifice. Okay, learn stewardship and sacrifice. What is stewardship? Stewardship is this. Every day that you wake up, you recognize this. Your wife is not your own. Your kids are not your own. Your relationships are not your own. Your house is not your own. Your car is not your own. Your your money is not your own. You are a steward of the things that God gave you for what reason? to run your race to reach people for Christ and the stewardship is to be used for those things. That's why you were given them. We need to wake up and we need to understand what you've been given is to make it so that you can run that race that God laid out for you in a way that he gave you certain gifts, certain talents, certain house, certain kids, certain things. We're all unique in what we've been given. You know why? Because we all run unique races with the same purpose, right? And all of us run them differently. So we've been given different things so that we can do that as a stewardship. But here's the other thing you have to recognize. Once you understand stewardship, you will never move forward until you understand sacrifice. If you don't get that the idea of spiritual discipline in the stewarding of things that God has given us is going to cost you something. See, your time is not your own, right? Does that make sense? Your time is not, you get 168 hours a week. Who do they belong to? Who do they belong to? God, right? So you get 168 hours in a week. If we are on a race to win a prize, we have to sacrifice some of those 168 hours to the calling that God has for our life. But it's going to sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. Because you know what we do with 168 hours? What we want to do with them. Right? We run the 168 hours in the way that we want to run them. So we have to understand stewardship and sacrifice. The other one is service. We talked about that as we need to, to be able to get involved and we need to be able to serve other people. And the last one is this, spiritual discipline. You need to be a witness into this world. You have to be a witness. It's not a suggestion, it's a mandate. 
You as my disciples will go into all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth, and you will be my witness. What does it mean to be a witness? What does it look like for us to be able to witness to other people? Remember, a lot of times people see Jesus not through what you say, but by what you do. Every single person in this room has a story. People that say they don't have a story, you have a story. You know what your story is? Whatever it is that God is doing with you and for you, and he should be, if he's your savior, doing it for you every day. Right? Like everybody, it doesn't have to be this dramatic long story. I can just wake up and say, God, I am thankful for you have done, you have delivered me through, you have walked with me in this, and I just want to praise the Lord. That's a testimony. Right? So we need to make sure that that we understand those testimonies and what those things look like. Now here's the last thing. Keep your eyes, the worship team, you guys can come back up. Keep your eyes on the prize. Right? That's the last thing that, that Paul said. Paul said in the end of it, you got to be able to keep your eyes on the prize because here's what he knows is, is that people will get distracted on what the real prize is. Because remember, we are tangible people, right? Like we, we think of prizes as things that we can touch, we can feel, we can grab, we can have, we can see. And naturally in life, you're going to get distracted by things that don't matter in the end. You're just going to naturally be distracted. You're going to have kids, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to think your greatest prize in life is being a mom. Is it a great prize to be a mom? Most of the time. (laughs) Right? But at the end of the day, is that the ultimate prize? No. No. Right? That's not the ultimate prize. Like, you can get distracted by the things that are so consuming around us that we're going to lose track on what the end result is. And here's what we got to be prepared for. And this is what I want to leave you with. He tells us that we need to keep our eye on the prize and that we need to see that this journey of being, like, like I said from the beginning, from here till the day that we meet Jesus, the prize is this. If you continue to walk, you will be in relationship with Jesus. And in being in relationship with Jesus, that's your prize. That's your prize. It's a relationship. Now, here's what I want, here's what I want you to see, because this has come up. Anybody been watching the news? I mean, if it's not about the, the, the strike of the auto workers, it's about Hamas, right, invading Israel. Right? Like, these are the two things that have been dominating the news, So here's what I want you to think about. So one of the things that I think most of you guys have have been aware of is that, you know, this whole idea of um, the Palestinians or Hamas, you know, in in going into Israel, this has caused a lot of uproar. Anybody? Anybody been watching the news? Like this has caused a lot of tension and a lot of turmoil and a lot of questions. Like, here's been one of the questions for anybody that's ever read scripture, you know, and think about the the end times and Armageddon. You know what they want to know? Is it the end? Right? Is this the end? We're being attacked by other places. Is this the end? You know, people want to know, like, this is a real thing. People want to know this, is that, you know, there's a real reality because what you saw, and this is the thing that, you know, I'm going to, to, to talk about what you saw was pure evil. People being beheaded with hoes, 
babies being beheaded, elderly being burned. Like these things are pure evil, right? But here's what I want you to see and here's what I want you to know. That is the world that we live in. It's just you haven't seen it here yet. The question is the same. Are you going to? And how should you be prepared? That's the big question, isn't it? Like people are asking like, if there's something that happens here, what do I need to do? And what do I need to get prepared for? And I just love the conversations because it's like, how many guns and how much ammunition and how many, you know, how, how do I prep and how do I get ready and how do I be prepared? And I want to defend my family, which I, I love the discussion. Like, get prepared, get ready. The war is coming. I agree, but don't get ready that way before you get ready this way. Because you know what's going to happen? I, I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but here's the deal. I will defend my family until I die. But you know what? I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm going to defend, but I'm dying. Here's what I want to know. Little decision after little decision after little decision after little decision. When I want to get to the end of my life, here's what I want to hear and here's what I want to know. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you ran your race, you stayed in the game, and you stayed faithful to the end. You know how we can do that? Because we make little decisions every single day to build our faith so that we can get to the end and say, great job, you did it. You ran your race, you stayed faithful, you were in until the end, and you fought the fight. Now go home where we were made to be. Isn't that cool? Right? Like that's, that's the thing that he's trying to get. That journey of maturity is the journey that we should be on. Now, I'm going to pray for you, you know, in a second here, and then we're going to take communion together as a church. A couple things as we take communion. One of the things is to remember, right? The idea that we're taking the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us is remembering that your life was bought at a cost. Right? And that we need to remember the cost in which he gave for each one of us. It's also an opportunity. We have a prayer team now that's going to have people up at each one of our communion stations. And we know this. Like, don't wait. If you need prayed for, prayed over, prayed with, don't wait till tomorrow. Go up here. Don't, don't even, you can write it down on a prayer request sheet, but we want to pray for you right now. Right? So you can have somebody who's going to be up here during the, the time of communion to be able to pray with you over anything that you want. And most of all, as we're taking this time to meditate and get prepared for, I just pray that we all have the courage to get out of this chair and start a journey. And it might be small steps and it might be little steps, but just get up and keep moving. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We're so thankful that we can be together with you here today. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to have the faith that God, that, that you have called us to have. I pray that we will make decisions every single day to, to go through the test and to go through the fire that our faith will be built. Heavenly Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.